Research is really important because by definition, it's the only way to get new knowledge. There's so much that isn't yet known that it's just a cool time to be in science. I think at the end of the day, what really gets us out of bed in the morning is just the curiosity, trying to understand things we didn't understand the day before. Welcome to REACH, the podcast that tells the stories of researchers, their studies, and how their work impacts you and the world you live in. I'm Cole Cullen. And I'm Beth Bamford. This is one in a series of episodes where we're going to explore the work being done at Penn State relating to the coronavirus. Beth and I are recording this podcast from our homes with no professional-grade equipment and no quiet studios. We're using our phones and laptops. Thanks to technology, we are able to stay home and stay safe. Dr. Kurt Vandegrift was featured in the Human and Environmental Health episode of REACH a few months ago. In that episode, we learned how he uses mice and ticks to study emerging infectious diseases. For this episode, Beth talked to Dr. Vandegrift about spillover and how researchers are working to help avoid the next pandemic. All right. You feeling good, Kurt? Are you in quarantine? Yeah. Yep, I'm in my house. I got sick, uh, not this past Monday, but the Monday before. I had a fever, was coughing. I'm still coughing a little bit. Do you think do you think you have it? I don't know. I the estimates are forty to eighty percent of the population. There's a reasonable chance it also could be the flu. My name's Kurt Vandegrift. I'm an assistant research professor in the Department of Biology associated with the Center for Infectious Disease Dynamics. And I study zoonotic disease, uh, spillover, population biology, and emerging viruses. Spillover is a process whereby pathogens spill over from their populations of wild animals. And when we expose ourselves to these wild animals, we increase the likelihood that these viruses can infect humans. Uh, Some good examples of pathogens that have recently spilled over include SARS, Ebola, hantavirus, West Nile virus, Lyme disease. These are all pathogens that infected wild animals, but when they encounter humans, sometimes they can jump species and become a zoonotic pathogen, meaning it jumps from animal to man. Can you tell us how COVID-19 originated? COVID-19 is very closely related to SARS, which originated in China a while back. And that one came from a bat in the wet markets. This COVID-19 outbreak The current thinking is that it evolved and originated and spilled over into the human population through the wet markets in Wuhan, China. It isn't known yet that this came from a bat or a rodent, but the thinking is that it probably came from a bat. And we do know that they sell bats as both pets and food in these markets. I had a chance to go to China and visit some of these wet markets when I was doing my research on avian influenza. The eating habits of the Chinese are significantly different than those of of people in the United States. They have a wide variety of animals that they consume on, on a regular basis. And these markets 
are full of really horrid conditions with lots and lots of different species of animals that are kept in not very clean conditions, uh, cages stacked on top of each other, lots of species of animals that would never mix in the wild are, are pressed into confined spaces. And these wet markets have come under fire for years and years as places where we should expect to see spillover of novel pathogens, and they remain open. Lots of people, especially the people associated with uh, the PREDICT funding, that was a program where they were meant to go out and sample a bunch of these high-risk places, identify the viruses, and tell us which is the pathogen that's going to go pandemic next. And they identified some high-risk pathogens right out of these wet markets. And so I was not surprised at all to see a pandemic virus come out of these markets. In fact, uh, you heard my podcast from a few months ago where I said, watch out, one of these is coming. Could you tell us a little about what you're researching and how it's related or comparable to the current situation with COVID-19? We are looking for a needle in the haystack. There are lots of species, and each of those species have lots of viruses. And so being able to identify which virus and which animal and which country is going to be the one that causes the next pandemic is a very difficult thing. With my research, we tried to take a proactive approach because as we see, once these pathogens emerge and start to spread, containing them is very, very, very difficult. And so what we would like to do is identify high-risk pathogens and identify all of the viruses present in those individuals. And then if we find some that are potentially risky, uh, they're highly transmissible and other in mammal model systems, you put them in, in mice in the lab and they transmit very easily between those mammals, then we have an indication that this might be uh, something that we as mammals should worry about. So in my research with the white-footed mice, we found viruses from 40 different families. So there were a huge number of viruses that nobody on the planet knew existed. Now, the vast majority of those viruses are not going to be important for public health, but it only takes one of them to be important. And so identifying and cataloging those looking at the genetic sequences, the genomes of these viruses, allow us to make a test so that if one does jump into the human population, we can already have the test and potentially we could have a vaccine ready for these pathogens. This is why I, I always harp about being more proactive than reactive, because in this day and age, reactive, it can be too late. We waited too long. Italy waited too long, and Italy was pleading with us not to wait, and we waited. I like to use the analogy of fire. We've got a fire burning in the United States, and we don't know how big of a fire it is. We don't know how extensive, how geographically spread the fire is, and we don't have the means to deal with it. We had an Ebola crisis that really sent a shockwave through us when the Ebola cases came into the United States. And we said, geez, these things really can spread. 
we need to stockpile masks. We need to stockpile gloves. And where are these stockpiles? People in the field knew that this was a big problem and that we were already late to the show. And we continue to be late. And what's shocking to me is how unprepared we were and continue to be. We have an issue now with asymptomatic cases. We don't know the degree to which people are infected and not showing symptoms or not showing serious symptoms where you would even go to the doctor. And those people can be transmitting it. Uh, we started with an approach where if you're sick, you stay home. If it's not just the people who are sick who are transmitting this thing, then those aren't the only people that need to stay home. And we simply do not have enough tests to test people who are asymptomatic or even people who are symptomatic but not seriously ill or having predisposed illnesses. We don't have the capacity to test them. And so we really need urgently to be testing people who are not critically sick, as well as testing people for antibodies to see who's been exposed and who's, been, and who's recovered. The reason asymptomatic transmission, and that is people who don't feel sick that are shedding virus that can potentially infect others. The reason that's very important is because it, it determines who needs to be in quarantine. Does everybody need to be in quarantine? Or do we just need people that are sick to be quarantined? And if there's asymptomatic transmission, then you need everybody to be quarantined. The other reason why it's important that we start to see who's been exposed and who has recovered is because one of the ways that you can treat this is using convalescent antibodies. So someone who has been infected and recovered, you can actually take the blood from those people and give it to other people and you can pass that immune system from one person to another. And that's in common terms, but basically that's the way it works. If I've been infected and I have fought off the infection and now you get infected, I can give you a little bit of blood and that can help you to fight the infection. As you know, traditional methods of receiving funds to do research, they don't happen on a time scale that is relevant to the issues that we have right now. You know, if I submit a grant, I hear about it about a year later, and about six months later, I get money. That doesn't work now. So thankfully, uh, the Huck Institute, which is led by Andrew Reed, has put out a substantial amount of money in seed grants. It puts the money in the pockets of the researchers right away to do the very pressing research that needs to be done right away. And they very quickly accepted these seed grant proposals and have already dished out some money to a number of people in the department. There are people that have access to the virus that are going to look at animal models to determine infectious rate, duration of virus shedding. They have some seed grant money, but they're putting in a larger grant to look at previously approved FDA medicines. And if they're efficacious against this pathogen, I know somebody that is working on more molecular aspects of the virus, and they received some seed grant money. And the one that I'm specifically getting involved with is looking at surface contamination. So we closed the liquor store, and we gave 48 hours notice that we were going to close the liquor store. And so I assume most of the people in State College touched that door handle in the 48 hours. <laughs> so... 
how infectious is that door handle? So we need to be looking at these types of surfaces and seeing how long the virus persists on certain surfaces to see if you know we can develop some measures where you know we need to clean with bleach or alcohol the handle to the door that opens to the milk in the grocery stores, the counters at the pharmacies, the keys on the ATM pads. Where in the environment is this pathogen persisting? How long is it persisting? And when we know the answers to those questions, we can come up with better decontamination protocols. What do you think needs to happen in terms of research to prevent these types of events from happening in the future? My thesis has always been that we need to get ahead of these pathogens through proactive research. We need the money to better understand the processes that lead to spillover. We need to understand the factors that increase our exposure. We need to identify which pathogens are most likely to spill over, what animals are harboring these viruses, what causes them to shed those viruses. And we also need to be prepared for the spillovers that we can't anticipate. We need work on treatments for viruses. We have almost a total lack of antivirals. In fact, our best drugs against bacteria, we discovered those by accident, uh, penicillin. So we really need to redouble efforts in drug discovery of all types. And not only that, we need to learn how to use them efficiently and effectively. Is there anything else that you want to share with our listeners that they are not hearing on the news that um, you feel is vitally important? I think try to stay calm and sane. Being locked in your house isn't that bad. Don't go out. Space yourself from other people when you do need to go to the grocery store. Buy enough food for a couple days so that you don't go to the grocery store every day. Eat the food that's in your freezer. Wash your hands. And remain calm. We'll make it through this and listen to what the people on TV are saying in terms of staying home and maintaining a high level of hygiene. The more people that stay home and decrease contacts, the more we flatten this curve and the faster we'll get through this. You know, I think if we do follow these rules of social isolation and people decrease their contact rates, We will get through this. We will flatten the curve. We'll reduce the burden on the healthcare system and that will save lives. Thank you for listening to Reach. All the episodes of Reach can be found on our website. Please consider making a contribution to WPSU so that we can bring you content like this. Visit wpsu.org slash donate. Thanks.